Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. Well, that was kind of sleepy sounding. Anyone tired? Yeah. Who, uh, who went to bed at a reasonable hour last night? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you guys. Uh, who thinks they stayed up the latest? What, uh, any midnight? 1 a.m.? 2 a.m.? 3 a.m.? Actually, four? Really? And did anybody not sleep last night? You guys didn't sleep at all last night? Wow. I slept like a baby last night, if that makes you feel any better. I, uh, I was snoozing away. I was trying to stay up and, and do some reading last night, and I was in bed for all of like five minutes before I was zonked out. So, I, uh, you know, I feel bad for you guys who didn't get to sleep last night. But we got a fun day ahead today. Uh, it's good to be together this morning. Uh, I hope that you guys who didn't get any sleep can stay awake because we got some important stuff to cover today. Uh, who can tell me, what were the two points that we left off with last night? Anyone remember those two things that we talked about? Come on, just shout them out. God is sovereign, God is sovereign and? this. I heard it in the back. This world is not our home. And I want you guys to remember those things as we do every single chapel session because those things, those two points, are going to help frame the conversation that we are having together this week. Uh, we got a lot to cover today, and so I want to go ahead and just jump right in. And uh, this morning, what's going to happen is we're going to be introduced to our four main characters of this story. We're going to get introduced to Daniel and his friends, and we're going to really dive into answering this question. What does it mean to live with resilience as a follower of Jesus in a culture that is increasingly hostile towards Christianity? And so with that in mind, let's pray together, and then we are going to dive in. Jesus, thank you for today. Father, thank you again for Hume Lake and the blessing that we have to be here. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds. God, that you would uh, give us a sense of understanding as we wade through the story of Daniel. Uh, would you see, help us to see how this is applicable and relevant in our lives today? And God, when we walk out of here, would we have a better understanding of you and your heart for us and how we can live in light of all of that. And so, Father, we give you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Daniel chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here that are available for you. Anyone not have a Bible this morning that needs one, raise your hand. A few hands went up. Can we get those guys some Bibles, leaders and staff? Thank you. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. Today we're going to be kind of covering verses 3 through 21. Uh, and we're not going to read the whole thing together in this session, but I would encourage you as you have some time today, uh, go and read this chunk of scripture, Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 21, so that you can kind of get a full idea of what we're going to be talking about. I'll give you guys just a second to turn there. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 is where we are going to begin. And uh, let's just remember, yesterday when we started out, we did some kind of historical background, laid a foundation that we're going to be building upon for the rest of our time together. So we talked a lot about the differences between the kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of Judah, right? We have one nation, the kingdom of Judah, who was built on the worship of God. Uh, they loved God. God was their life. And we see them exiled in the nation of Babylon where there is no regard for God. Uh, instead, there is absolute hostility towards God and his people. And this is the kind of the setting that we find ourselves in. Now let's look at verse three together. This is what it says. It says, the king ordered, I think it's 
Ashpenaz is how we're going to go ahead and say that, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility, to find young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. And they were to teach them the Chaldean language and literature." Again, last night, we, we started talking about the differences between the kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of Judah. And one of the things that we talked about was just how hostile the Babylonian culture and people would have been towards the Jewish culture. And this is where we see in the story all of this tension start to play out. Now, I want you to note, when the Babylonians came through Judah, they would have spared nothing. It would have been absolute total destruction. They would have torn down their buildings, killed their people, all of that kind of stuff. But there is one group of people that they choose to spare. Do you guys see who it is? Who did he command his person to save and to bring with them to Babylon? It was the young people. It was the young people. And this is something that we should be aware of. Friends, I want you to see this. We haven't talked about this yet, but Daniel and his friends would have been around the age of 15. Now, how old are you guys in here? Any 12-year-olds in here? 13-year-olds? 14? We got any 15s? Okay, so, so Daniel and his friends were basically in the same stage of life as you guys. And it's important for us to understand this because a lot of times when we read the Bible and we read these stories of these great heroes of the faith and these people who follow God faithfully, a lot of times we're reading stories of grown adults who have had years and years of following Christ faithfully to look back on when things get difficult. But the story of Daniel, that's not the same case. In fact, in this story, we're looking at some young guys in the same stage of life that you guys are in. And I want to point this out to you guys for two reasons. Number one is because of this. I want you to understand that God wants to use you guys right where you're at right now. I think sometimes we believe this lie that, that God isn't gonna use us until we're older. Maybe we believe that it'll start in high school or some people in college or when we get married and have a career or when we're older. But the truth of the matter is this. God wants to use you now. Whether you want it or not, God has an intention and a plan for you in the stage of life that you are in right now. And the story of Daniel is evidence of that. The other reason that I want to point this out to you guys is this. One of the tactics that our enemy loves to use, and when we talk about our enemy, I want you guys to understand that we are talking about Satan, the devil, that he is anti-Christ, and he is doing whatever he can to draw people away from living obedient lives to Christ. And so when we talk about the tactics that our enemy loves to use in this world and in this culture, one of the groups of people that he loves to target is the youth. It's the young people. And here's why. Oftentimes, society and the enemy, we look at young people as some of the most influential people that we can have, the most easily influenced generation or group of people in a society. And because of this, because you guys are young and you're so in this stage of life where everything is forming you and you're being developed and you're shaping your worldviews, if Satan can get a hold of young people, and can get you to believe lies and can indoctrinate you into the thinking of this world at a young age, what happens is then we have a lot of work to do to undo all of that as we seek to live lives in obedience to Christ. And so I want you guys to be aware of this, that you guys are in a prime stage of life 
for the enemy to target you and to draw you away from Christ. All the more reason that we should be paying attention to how Daniel and his friends are going to live resiliently in this culture. Now let's go down to verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read them and then we're going to kind of dive in and start talking about what is going on. It says this in verse 5. It says, The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Among them, from the descendants of Judah, were Daniel, Hannah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief gave them other names. He gave them the names Belshazzar to Daniel, Shardok to Hannah, Meshach to Mishael, or I'm sorry, Shadrach to Hannah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Now, what we see happening here is Daniel and his friends are faced with some extreme culture shock as they find themselves in a brand new world, we could say. They find themselves in a place that is completely hostile towards the lives that they had lived up until this point. And what we just read were some of these new ways of living that were forced onto them in this new culture. The first thing that the king of Babylon did was he gave them a new language. Catch this. It says, uh, we, we talk about he gave them provisions and they were to be trained for three years in the language that they spoke. Remember, Daniel and his friends would have spoken the language Hebrew, which the, was the language of God's people for generations and generations. And the first thing that the Babylonians would have done was to rid them and strip them of their native language, this thing that had connected them to God for so many years. And this is just the first thing that they begin to strip away from them as they seek to assimilate them into a new culture that is anti-God. The second way that they begin to indoctrinate them is they put them into an educational system for three years where they were going to be trained in this new culture. It would have been a way to indoctrinate Daniel and his friends with the thinking of the Babylonian culture, uh, with the training and understanding of their idolatrous gods and all of that kind of stuff. And what they would have sought to do was to train out of them their understanding and relationship with God and their culture and the ways of living that they had back at home in Judah. Again, I want you guys to see that everything the Babylonians are doing is working to rid Daniel and his friends of any connection that they had to God. The third thing that we see the Babylonians doing is they start to change their names. Now this may have been one of the more significant pieces of this culture that was forced onto these guys. Remember yesterday we talked about names in the Jewish culture would have often pointed back to one of the attributes or characteristics or truths about God. And so anytime somebody heard their name spoken, their minds would have instantly gone back, man, to give praise to God or to give glory to God or at least to center the thinking on who God is. And in this new culture, we see them, again, stripping that away from them and giving them names that not only don't have anything to do with their God, but they give them names that would have had to do with their idol gods and things that would have been kind of increase, uh, incredibly insulting to these guys. And so let me share with you guys what these new names were. Daniel's name in Hebrew meant God is my judge. Remember, it would have pointed him back to the truth about who God is. And his name was changed to Belshazzar, which means lady protected the king. You can imagine a young man being given a name that meant lady protect the king would have been a little bit insulting, right? This would have been meant and used to humiliate Daniel and again to disassociate him with his original name. Hananiah's name meant Yahweh has been gracious to us and his name was changed to Shadrach, which means I'm fearful of God. 
Again, uh, a move away from truth about God. Mishael, Michael meant who is, or who is and what is God. Again, pointing to the sovereignty of God. And his name was changed to Meshach, which means I am despised and contemptible. You guys see the change? These names that were giving glory and praise to God are now bringing shame and embarrassment to these guys. And Azariah meant Yahweh has helped us. And his name was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, which was a Babylonian god. Again, this was another one of those ways that the Babylonians set out to strip these boys of any and all markers and connections to their true home in Judah, as well as any connections that they had to their god. And as we see kind of this assault on their home culture play out, none of these three things really seem to be deal breakers for them. They would not have been ideal by any means, um, but, but they were things that they could live with. But this fourth thing that we see is really uh, where we see this Babylonian culture cross the line for these Israelite boys. And the fourth thing that they were forced to do in assimilating to this new culture was to change their diet. In verse five, it says, the king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. Now, what's the big deal about this? Because in our culture, we don't actually think twice about what we eat, right? Food is really not a big deal. Food is something that we enjoy. Uh, food is something that gives us strength. Food is, is just kind of a part of life, and we love to enjoy food. So what's the big deal with all this food? Do you guys remember yesterday when we talked about those 613 commands that God had given the Israelite people that they were to obey to have relationship with God? Many of those commands had to do with the food that they ate. And one of the commands that they were given when it came to food was that they were not to eat any food or drink any wine that had been dedicated to idols. Now what we see here happening is this food that the king would have assigned them to eat would have been food that had been dedicated or sacrificed to these idol gods. And so for Daniel and his friends, to eat this food would have been a direct uh, choice or a direct uh, action of disobedience towards Yahweh, towards God. And so we see them uh, not being okay with doing this. And so let's look down to verse eight to see how Daniel responds to this attack on his relationship with God. It says this. It says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. It says, Daniel determined. Another way to say that is Daniel had made up his mind. He had set his mind on this thing that he would not eat and defile himself with the king's food. He made up his mind. He planted his flag in it. He was not going to move on this. And so in an effort to not be defiled with the king's food, we see Daniel go to this chief official who's kind of assigned. Uh, it's that goofy looking dude with the Google eyeglasses. You guys know what I'm talking about in the video. He goes to that guy and he says, look, king, we cannot eat this food. And he asks him to give him grace to give him a different diet. Now, I often think about what would it have taken for Daniel to stand up in front of the king's right-hand man and to deny the command that they had been given? It would have taken some guts, right? Daniel had to have a spine, some resolve within him that said, man, I can deal with these other three things, but this one, this is just too far, and I'm not willing to compromise on this issue. And I'm blown away again as we remember that Daniel would have been right around 15 years old. 
It's crazy as I think about it. You know, a lot of teens in our culture, I'm sure you guys have done this. You guys stand up to authority for all kinds of different things. And I'm gonna be honest with you. None of them are typically worth standing up for, right? In class, it's you're on your phone and your teacher tells you to put your phone away and you're like, I'm not doing it, right? And you're willing to defy authority for the sake of doing what you wanna do. Or it's your parents telling you that you have to do chores and, and you're willing to die on this hill that you are not gonna do what they ask. But when it comes to standing up for our faith in God and not compromising on things that actually matter, I would be willing to guess that many of our lives don't resemble Daniel's in any way in that, in that kind of train of thinking. It's interesting, we're so willing to stand up for things that have no real value to our lives, but when it comes to things of substance, and things of being faithful to God, we draw a line there and we're not willing to stand up for those things. But we see in Daniel that he made a decision early on in his life that said, no matter what comes my way, no matter what this new culture and these enemies try to put me through, I will not compromise on my convictions to live faithful to God. Another way to put this is Daniel chose to fear God, not man. Now, what does it mean to fear God? Because a lot of times I think that we hear that and we think, I just need, I, am I supposed to be afraid of God? And, and that's not the point here, but to fear the Lord means this, to have a deep and unchanging trust and honor for the Lord that results in faithful obedience to him. To fear somebody means that you're gonna kind of honor and respect what they say or what they think about you. And the decision that we see Daniel faced with is he, is he gonna fear God or is he gonna fear man? And my friends, if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you too have been faced with this decision. Are you gonna fear man or are you gonna fear the Lord? It's something that we have to decide for ourselves. And this fear of the Lord, like I said, results in an unchanging and unaffected obedience to him. And though we can't always understand what God is doing, we can always trust that number one, God is sovereign and that he is in control. And number two, that God and his heart and his love for us never, ever change. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight, it says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so though we find ourselves in situations and moments in life where it may be hard to track God's hand through it, like we're talking about, Daniel and his friends would have probably been asking him, where is God at in all of this? And though they couldn't see his hand, man, they knew that they could trust his heart. And friends, it's God's faithfulness through generations that gives us confidence that even when we don't understand what he's doing, we can trust that he is in control. And not only that, but he is worthy of our faith to be put in him. Another detail from the story that I think is important for us to know is that Daniel and his friends most likely weren't the only young people to be taken from Judah and assimilated into this Babylonian culture. There probably would have been many other young people in their same stage of life. But did you notice, we don't read about all of the other people. We read about Daniel and his friends. So what do you think happened to these other young folks they got brought from Judah and began to be assimilated into their culture. We saw it depicted in the video we just watched. I would be willing to bet that many of these young people, at the first moment of pressure that they got put on them, they caved. They said, you know what? 
It's not willing, I'm not willing, it's not worth it to stand out in this new place. I'm not willing to sacrifice my safety or my security or my comfort for following Christ. And we saw it in the young lady on the screen. Man, she just caved in and did whatever they asked her to do. And I'd be willing to bet that Daniel and his friends watched as many other young people made that same decision to cave in. People who claimed to follow God threw it out the window as soon as the pressure came. And the question is, why would they do that? And the answer is simple. It's because they feared man more than they feared God. They were more afraid of sticking out and more afraid of what might happen to them in this world than they were about faithfully living uh, with an eternal God who is in control of all things. And friends, as we talk about our world being like a modern day Babylon, I want you guys to see that this very same thing is playing out every single day. You find yourselves in a culture that is warring against God. And you're presented with an opportunity, who are you gonna bow to? Are you gonna bow to the pressures of man or are you gonna bow to the commands of a holy and eternal God? And this is the choice that we have to make. And I know that it's something that is so difficult for so many of us to do. I remember being in junior high and high school. And, and I'm gonna, can I be honest with you guys? I'm not gonna stand up here and pretend like I've got it all perfect, okay? One of the things that you should know about me is I'm a messy, jacked up dude, okay? Saved by the grace of God, it is a miracle that he would allow me to be used by him. And, and that's its own story. But I remember my junior high and high school years and the thing that mattered the most to me was being accepted and approved by my peers. This was what shaped my life. I remember I told you guys, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. My mom was the women's ministry director at my church. And so this pressure that I felt to, to win the approval of the world was not something that was shown to me in my home. This wasn't something that was taught to me in the church. This was the pressure of the world around me. And somehow Satan had got a hold of my mind and convinced me that the ultimate thing for me in my life was winning the approval of people. And the way that I saw this play out was I was willing to compromise on any front if it meant that I would be accepted and loved by people at school. One of the, the places that I saw this play out the most was on my baseball team. I was a baseball player my entire life. And um, when I got into my high school years, I found out pretty quickly uh, that I was the only Christian on my baseball team. I was really the only person who was at least trying to live my life for Christ. And being on a squad of 26 guys who had no regard for living for Christ or being obedient to him, I'm gonna be honest, you guys, it didn't take long for me to start compromising on my faith. For me to start bowing to what they were doing before I was bowing to what the Lord had called me to do. And you know what happened? Man, it left me feeling empty, and hopeless and always longing for more because this is the truth when it comes to bowing and fearing man over fearing God. There is nothing that this world could give you in the shape of uh, approval, affirmation, love, acceptance, value. The world can't offer us anything that will ever be lasting. The craziest thing to me would be I'd go to practice one day and I, and I would compromise on the way that I was talking or the kind of jokes that I was telling or the things that I was watching on TV. And I would fit in and I'd be one of the guys and I'd go home and I'd go to bed and I'd wake up the next morning and you know what the first thing that I would think of every single day? What am I gonna have to do to win their approval today? It never lasted. It never satisfied. It always left me wanting more. 
But like Daniel, we are all presented with this decision every single day. Who are you going to bow to? Who are you going to seek the approval of? And Daniel made the decision that even if it's unpopular, and even if it's not understood by everybody around me, and even if it results in physical harm for me, I'm going to live devout and resolved in obedience to God because living for Christ is far greater than living for man. Now to summarize the rest of the passage that we're going through this morning, uh, God gives favor to Daniel for his obedient ask to, to not eat the king's food. And so in verse nine, it says this, it says, God granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official. I want you guys to see this. When we choose to live obedient to God, he gives favor to those who do. God gives favor when we choose to be obedient. What we see happen after this is Daniel and his friends go and do a veggie diet for 10 days while the rest of these young people in this schooling system, in this indoctrination system, uh, are eating the king's portions and drinking his wine. And what we see is that the chief official is really nervous that they're gonna look unhealthy in comparison to these other ones who are eating the chief's, or excuse me, who are eating the king's portions because it would have been really bad if They looked unhealthy and the king found out that he was allowing them to do something different than he commanded. And what we see is at the end of 10 days, man, Daniel and his friends, they're just looking jacked, okay? Like all these other people, they're probably bloated and groggy and falling asleep like we saw on the thing. And I can just imagine Daniel and his friends are just glowing and shredded out, ripped out, looking healthy. And it says the king was so impressed that he invited them to serve in his inner court and and he appointed Daniel and his friends as advisors for himself. And then in verse 20, we see more of how God honors their obedience. It says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them 10 times better than all of the other diviner priests and mediums in his entire kingdom. Again, see this, guys. When we choose to live faithful to God, God honors that obedience. I think one of the fears that we often live with is that if we choose to fear God over man, if we choose to be obedient to God over man, we're afraid that somehow God's gonna leave us in the dust. And friends, I can just tell you that generation after generation after generation, throughout all of history, God has never abandoned his people. Like we talked about last night, sometimes God allows us to go through things that we don't think are good or things that we don't think are healthy for us or things that we don't think are fun. But friends, that is not a sign of God's abandonment on your life. Instead, that is where we get to see the hand of God all the more present in our lives. And so the question that I want to finish with answering today is this. What does it all mean for us? In light of what we've read about Daniel, how can we determine ourselves to live as people who fear God over the fear of man? How can we resolve and determine ourselves to live resilient in this anti-God culture And the thing that I want you to walk away knowing today is this, that if you want to live like Daniel, if you want to live a life that is counter to this world that we live in, if you want to live resilient for Christ, you have to be rooted in the firm foundation of the word of God. If you're taking notes, write that down. You have to be rooted in the firm foundation of the word of God. Friends, the word of God is the foundation, it's the bedrock of our lives that everything else is built upon. And this is the first thing that we have to be aware of when it comes to following Christ. Because I'll be honest with you, if your foundation in life is not built on the truth that comes from God's word, if it's built on the things of this world, then what's gonna grow off of that is gonna be fruitful of whatever your roots are planted in. 
So if your roots are planted in the truth of God's word, the fruit of your life will be consistent with God's word. But if the foundation of your life is built on the things of this world, it will crumble and it will fall and it will look more like the world than the things of God. And Jesus talks about this in the book of Matthew chapter seven. I wanna read this to you. It says this starting in verse 24. Jesus says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house, but it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And the scripture says, and that collapse was great. What I want you guys to understand today is that when we read about Daniel living with this deep uh, uh, conviction and this deep resolve to be obedient to Christ, we're not seeing a decision that Daniel made right when the pressure came. This decision that Daniel made to live faithfully to God was a decision that he made early on in his life when he devoted himself to knowing God's word and to building the foundation of his life on God's word. And so when the river rose and the winds came and the rain fell, when the pressure came, he was rooted on a firm foundation. You know, I think the way that many of us try to go about living obedient lives to Christ is we just try to will ourselves into doing it. We don't wanna spend time reading God's word. We don't wanna spend time meditating on the truth that's found in scripture. And we just say, you know what? When the pressure comes, I'm just gonna make the right decision. And I can tell you that you will fail almost 100% of the time. Because the goal of our lives, my friends, is not to modify our behavior in a way that we think is pleasing to God. And we're gonna talk more about this as this week goes on. But the goal of your life is not to just live, live a life that appears to be obedient to Christ, but is not actually rooted in him. In Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, it says this. It says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and perfect and acceptable. Friends, this is what I wanna hammer into your minds this morning. If you want to live resilient and steadfast for God, it all starts with where you've built the foundation of your life. Are you spending time in God's word? Are you meditating on the scriptures? Are you allowing the word of God to change you from the inside out? Do you guys see what the verse says in Romans? It says, don't be conformed to this world. So this is the tension that we feel, right? We're, we're, the, the world is trying to conform us into its way of thinking, its way of living, its values, all of that. And Paul writes, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friends, the renewing of your mind is something that happens inwardly, internally. And when we give our lives to Christ, we know that he seals us with his spirit and the spirit of God takes up residence within our lives and it lives with us. And friends, what the, what the spirit does is the spirit transforms us from the inside out. And what happens as he transforms us is he changes our heart. And as our hearts change, what we value changes. And as our hearts change and what we value changes, I mean, it gives us the ability to say no to the things of this world because our values ultimately are built on the foundation of Christ. And this is where the wheels fall off for so many of us. We are not allowing the spirit of God to renew our minds on a daily basis. 
we're not giving the Holy Spirit room to work in our lives and to call us out of our sinful ways of living and to build our foundation on the rock and the truth of God's word. And so friends, if you guys want to live like Daniel, if you guys want to live resilient in a culture that is opposed to God and the Christian way of living, it all comes back to where is your foundation laid at? What are you building your life on? And I can tell you from my story that I was just sharing with you guys a moment ago. When I tried to build the foundation of my life on the things of this world, man, it always crumbled. I was never able to live resilient for Christ because the foundation of my life was built on the approval and the acceptance of everybody else. I was so worried about what they thought. And there was a moment when everything changed for me and I realized that this emptiness that I was feeling was a result of the foundation of my life being built on the wrong things. And as I decided to build the foundation of my life on the truth of God's word, I watched as the Holy Spirit began to work in me. And he began to change my heart and he began to change my mind and the things that I valued began to change. And as all of that inward renewal work took place, the fruit of my life, the evidence of my relationship with Christ began to be displayed to people around me. And you know what's crazy? You know that part where it was talking about how God gave favor to Daniel in the eyes of the chief servant? Man, I have experienced this in ways that you guys cannot imagine. I think one of the things that we have to remember is that in this world that seems so opposed to our God, in this world man, where people wanna be the Lord of their own lives, there is a hunger that is felt universally by people. People are hungry for the truth of God. And they may not know it, and they may not be aware of what they're actually looking for in life. But I can tell you this, that everybody is searching for what God has given to us. And if you begin to live your life in obedience to Christ, I mean, I can't promise you that it's gonna be great all the time, okay? I'm just gonna be honest with you. I can't promise you that everyone's gonna love you, but what I can promise you is that there will be moments in your life where you will find favor not only with God, but as a result of, of your obedience to God, you will find favor with man. We talked about uh, when I was growing up, man, the love of God is infectious and people are attracted to it. There's the reason that Jesus always had crowds of people following him. Friends, people want to know God. And when we choose to live resolved like Daniel, built on the foundation of God's word and the truth of the scriptures, and I promise you, you will find an abundant life in obedience with Christ. And I promise you, there will be moments when you find favor with man as well. And so friends, this is what I'm gonna leave you guys with today. There's two questions that I really want you guys to process through at some point, kind of kind of shape your cabin time discussions and your solo time discussions. And here are the questions. Are there things in your life that make it difficult to have the kind of resolve that we see in Daniel? If so, what are those things? One of the first things that we have to do if we want to live obedient to Christ, is we have to identify the things that are keeping us back from that. And so ask yourself that question, are there things in my life that are making it difficult to live like Daniel, and then name them? The second question is a practical question. What decisions can you make this week to better your relationship with Christ? Let me pray for us. We're going to wrap up, and we'll get on to what we have the rest of the day. Father, thank you for this morning.
Father, thank you for the time that we have uh, to spend in your word. Again, thank you for the example that we find in Daniel of what it looks like for a young person to live obedient to you in a world, man, that is so hostile towards this way of living. So Father, I pray that you would build these students' confidence as they remember your faithfulness from generation to generation. And they know that, God, if you were faithful to Daniel then, then you will be faithful to them now. And God, I pray that you would, that you would build within them a, a kind of discontentment with the things of this world. That as they seek to find approval and affirmation and love in the people of this world, God, that you would just make them sick of it. That you would help them to see that there is nothing life-giving there for them, but when we build our lives on the foundation of who you are and what your word says, God, that there is an abundant life available for us. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen.